Welcome to Yippie Kai Mother Podcast. We got a special one. I'm Ralph Quattrucci. I'm Sean Paul Murphy. I'm Debbie Murphy. I'm John Quattrucci. And I'm Chris Coker. Hey guys, uh, how's it going? Everybody good? Oh, Everyone fantastic. is doing well. My God. Right, Sean, I see somebody. I see a square that I don't recognize. What? Who's this? Who's this? Why don't you introduce our new this square? Is, um, we, this is a great week because we have a horror film classic <laughs> and a current Hollywood producer. With tons of credits, more credits than the producer of um, of um, Friday the Thirteenth, <laughs> you know Frank Mancuso Jr. I think he had thirty five, thirty uh, two credits listed. You had thirty three, John, as a producer. <laughs> Boom. But what we're mainly here having John Shepard here for is he played Tommy in the nineteen eighty five film Friday the Thirteenth: A New Beginning. <laughs> yes. John was the new beginning That's of a horror franchise. And he's that, here to talk about the movie. That was Friday the 13th 5, right? Yeah, but 5, five. was not technically in the title. Right. It's the new beginning. Yes. Yeah. So, okay, great. Well, welcome, John. Glad you be here. Glad you Thanks could join our little that. pirate ship we call a podcast here. Um, <laughs> so, Sean, do you want to describe the film first, or should I show a trailer? What do you want to do? How do you Let me to- describe it very briefly. Okay. So, in Friday the 13th, Part 4, The Final Countdown, there was a character played by Corey Feldman, whose name was Tommy. And at the end of the film, he hacked, um, he hacked Jason Voorhees, the killer, the um, hockey mask killer, to death in the doorway to protect his sister and family. This film takes place, I assume, 12 years later, and Corey Feldman had strangely grown into John Shepard, mm. you know. And um, John is was the current, you know, um, Tommy. But Tommy was very disturbed by having to hack Jason to death. So he ends up, like, in a um, mental institution. And at the start of this film, he is being sent to a halfway house, which is oddly enough, just like one of these camps that Jason used to haunt. And suddenly, meaning, meaning what? Lots of teenagers having lots sex of in teenagers <laughs> who like to have sex and take their shirts off. Right. You know, just, you know, normal camp stuff. Sure. And um, suddenly a series of murders begins and we begin to wonder whether it's Jason back or perhaps the monosyllabic um, Tommy, mm-hmm. is he channeling Jason? Has he become Jason? Is he indeed the new beginning? at age 12. Brutal self-defense murder of a psychopathic killer. Boy, they've given them every therapy they can think of. 
It's wonder his mind isn't fried with all the drugs I've given him. The mindless, murderous fury that was buried with Jason has been reborn. Pete! And suddenly, terror has become child's play. Friday the 13th, part 5, a new beginning. Okay, so many well, questions. trailer, make a liar out of me. Yeah, there well, it was. Apparently <laughs> everywhere else, part five is not part of the official title, but on the trailer it is. So, trailers. Uh, John, how did it feel watching that trailer again? And Jason still haunts me. You know, that was clearly <laughs> what I got from it. Okay, you I know, got... Okay. Was, uh, Go, go, go. I was gonna, the first question is, <clears throat> what was the audition like? Because you had, what, 24 words in the whole film? Something like that. <laughs> what was your yeah. audition like? Such an interesting journey because, first of all, when you audition for Friday the 13th, they don't tell you that it's a Friday. They say it's a untitled Paramount picture. In this case, it was called Repetition. And so I went in going, how cool. I always get cast in the John Ritter Boy Next Door, Richie Cunningham, nice kid um, type roles. Here's a kid coming out of an insane asylum into a halfway house. He doesn't speak the whole movie. And so they gave me these, you know, sides, just pages from the script. And I have no lines. I just have to sweat and, and be frightened. And I and I have to be somewhat disturbed. And I thought, well, this is a I was studying at Strasbourg at the time. This is a great acting exercise. So. I um, literally went into the audition in character. I decided if I was going to play this, I couldn't be my normal extroverted outgoing fraternity boy UCLA self. I had to become a method actor. So I um, I went in character. I would run up and down the fire escape, the stairs, uh, part of my audition. Then I'd come in the waiting room and they'd call my name. I'd go in and I'd sit and I wouldn't look anybody in the eye and I'd just sweat. And I got like four or five callbacks before I found out it was a Friday the 13th. And I was like, oh, I thought this was Boo Radley and To Kill a, um, to kill a Mockingbird. I'm evolve. Dead, I'm, um, I'd never seen a Friday the 13th, quite honestly. So uh, that was a journey, too, to um, have the privilege of playing Corey as a teenager. But not having seen his work, I had to go and watch part four. Um in a theater at Paramount by myself, which was also a frightening experience. So cool. So you must have had a big agent or something to get you in this audition. (laughs) You know, my agent was an old, old school Hollywood guy named Fred Amzell. And he used to say, stick with me, kid. You'll wear diamonds as big as oranges. And uh, (laughs) one of his clients was uh, Barbie. uh, And he would say, John, I have this client, Bobby, Bobby, Dollface, I call her, Dollface, stick with me now. He was just a, a real interesting old school Hollywood guy. And again, they all thought uh, because of my classical training coming out of Northwestern, I came out here to do a TV pilot. And I'd been cast in all kinds of interesting theater roles, being a Chicago improv guy, Second City, even as a teenager. 
to suddenly get a slasher picture. One of the things I said I'd never do when I go to Hollywood is <laughs> slasher pictures and lame, cheesy Christian films. And, you know, you want to make God laugh? Uh, tell him your plans. And so the first <laughs> film I get offered is Friday the 13th. So all my buddies back in Chicago harassed me until they saw the movie and said, yeah, you were pretty good. I didn't know you did, you, you, you do martial arts. So uh, anyway, a little movie magic. It was a lot of fun. It was a great role. And I really prepared for it. I um, actually went and worked at a, um, a state mental institution for about a month and a half before I started the role just to get a feel for what it would be like to to live and be and come out of and what those kids were like. So that was a really interesting eye-opening experience too. I bet. Oh my. Well, your physicality, you mentioned the martial arts. You definitely look like you knew how to fight in this one for sure. Well, I was, uh, uh, we did, a, I, I had a lot of time to work out leading up to that role. And also I had a great stunt double. I had Eddie Matthews, who I've remained friends with to this day. Uh, Dick Warlock was a stunt coordinator. So we did a lot of rehearsal and training. And I also, like I said, not only for the audition, but when I went up to set, I resolved to stay in character the entire movie because I thought if people figure out I'm just a nice guy, an outgoing friend, I'm just acting, they're going to treat me like an actor. But if I actually go out there like there's something a little off about this guy, he doesn't talk to anybody. He's monosyllabic himself. Um it gave me a little bit of an aura that kind of worked on screen where they did treat me differently. I did sit a lot in my, you know, dressing room, working out, push-ups in the barn, running all the time, sweating all the time. But it actually really lent itself well to the role. And I thought the work was actually some of the, you know, best work I've done. I really enjoyed Danny Steinman as a director. Really let me kind of own the role. And that was a lot of fun, too, for. Yeah. Um, you did that one, uh, you flipped that, that one guy, in that you know, grunts basically in yeah. the whole film. That was a real challenge. You flipped a guy in that house. There was a flip you did. You grabbed that guy, flipped on the table. That was an amazing day because Dick Warlock was saying that, John, you're going to have to grab this kid. You're going to pick him up. Now you won't grab the actual actor. We'll have Eddie do it. Eddie Matthews. This is Eddie. And I was trying to stay in character and not engage. Just listen and look off into the distance and have that, you know, that what they call thousand mile stare. Yeah. Thousand yeah. mile stare. And, but he was such a nice guy. He kept saying, and John, you're going to do this. And don't worry. Eddie's going to do a handstand on your shoulder. And you're going to slam him down on the thing. And then you just rip into him, just pound him as hard as you can for as long as you can until your hands are bloody. That's fine. And I, you know, here I was um, trying not to engage. I said one thing to Warlock that day, one thing, which was, how do you know Eddie? And he said, oh, Eddie, Eddie's from uh, Arizona. I'm from Arizona. I brought him up here to get him into the stunt business. We're both Christians, by the way. We come on these sets, these very dark sets, and we like to share our faith. We like to be a little light, a little light here in the darkness. That's why we do these movies. <laughs> That's so funny because I was actually a church going, you know, kid of faith. But I didn't want anybody to know that for, you know, I'm, I'm playing a, in a horror film, right? Um, <laughs> so I, I made the mistake of looking him in the eye and I said, I'm a Christian too. He said, what? <laughs> I said, yeah, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a Christian. And he yelled across the set of Friday the 13th with all these kids who thought I was nuts and all these crew <laughs> that I hadn't talked to for two weeks. He yells, hey, Eddie, this guy's a brother in Christ. And I was like, oh, I've just been outed. And um, now people are really going to think I'm whack. But it actually turned into you're crazy. What's that? Now they know you're crazy. Yeah, well, they, yeah, exactly. But it actually turned into an amazing friendship between me, Dick, and Eddie. 
And we did have a chance then to sort of, um, there was a trust uh, and some of the work, you know, the fighting and the, the special, you know, the martial arts and the work, it got better because then they really invested in me. They felt like, oh, he, he's really, he's really acting. This guy's really good. He's not actually um, he's slightly disturbed. <laughs> he He's nothing like this character, which I really, in truth, that wasn't anything like Tommy, but it was such a great role for a young actor to be able to play something so totally different from who I am as a person. Um, and also to, to do it and try and preserve my, um, my faith while being in what would some people say, how could you be in a horror movie being, you know, supposedly a professing religious guy. And it's like, you know what? Uh, I think God's got people everywhere, you know, even on podcasts like this, you know, it's, <laughs> you know, there's, you, you can run, but you can't hide, you know? Um, so that was another instance of you want to make God laugh on your plans, you know? So well, it's yeah. an, it's an interesting set to be on if you're, <laughs> if you're a Christian and, uh, with all the stuff going on in the woods there. Um, <laughs> exactly. you know, you said you hadn't seen a Friday the 13th, right? Before you did this. Right. Um, cause this one is, this one is, took a different turn than all. This is the only one that doesn't have Jason officially in. I mean, he's in a dream sequence. We got right. Jason's not in the first one either. He's not in the first one either. <laughs> right. He jumps out at the end in the boat, right? Well, I saw that on Friday the 13th, by the way, when it first came out. Okay. So I'm sorry. I, yeah, <laughs> but he's, he's in the movie cause he jumps out of the girl, you know, he takes the girl down. He's, he's the small version of himself, but not the actual killer. Um, so the, the, the direction of this one is very just different than all the other ones, right? right. It takes a whole, it's almost, Almost, I don't want to say comical isn't the right word, but I, I mean, John was John. My brother John was watching it, and he's like, "This is almost an airplane movie." Well, and, and I when thought, you first, start- I thought it was more like a parody. I, I thought like watching your performance versus yeah. the rest of the cast, it was like almost <laughs> there were two different movies. Yeah, where where you were, uh, I I don't know if realistic's the right word, but you were playing it uh, much more intense. And and they were almost playing it like my favorite line in the movie after the first person gets killed and everyone's going through that trauma. They're down at breakfast and the head guy there says, listen, I know we've all been through a lot. Let's have breakfast. <laughs> I'm like, well, what the hell is that? I mean, it just seemed like uh, like yeah. even like when she goes with the chainsaw and she's like about to get the guy and it runs out. And then the little kid up in the loft, it, it focuses on him. So it was weird. It was a, it was a, now I've only seen the first Friday the 13th, so I can't compare it to anything else. I will. But that's the vibe that I was getting from it, that you guys were almost a parody of all the movies other than you. Yeah, uh, you definitely were. Yeah. Too. Well, the first the kid ending. that gets killed, that whole candy bar thing. With the chocolate doing. down his mouth. Right. right. I was with him. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I mean that essentially sets the whole thing up. Ultimately, we learn why that kid uh-huh. became so important. But uh, right. uh, it's just, you know, from the series, it's just an interesting one. Now, w- were you expected to do more of these after this, John? After this, uh, yeah, it was, uh, well, I, I personally didn't expect to do any more of them. But then um, it was interesting. Danny uh, and and uh, Frank Mancuso had told us that they were still working on the ending. They weren't quite sure how to end the movie. And uh, did I have any ideas? I'm certainly welcome to pitch them. I did have a friend of mine named Michael Hitchcock who's gone on to great success uh, being in Christopher Guest movies and directing and writing for Glee. But he he was a fraternity brother and a friend. He said, well, we should write the end. We should kind of, what, what if we, 
came up with like Tommy uh, is in the hospital room and he breaks a window and you think he's gone out and then she comes in and he comes out from behind the door. That was, that was Mike Hitchcock and I, our idea, the thing that, and I also, by the way, wrote myself about 20 lines for that scene and I gave them to Danny Steinman and he said, well, first of all, it's a good idea, but what about these these lines you've written? You don't talk the whole movie and now you've got a monologue. Cutting that. Yeah. Oh, what about these numbers? I said, I didn't know what those numbers were in the script, so I just added some. He said, those are C numbers. <laughs> I had no idea. I was putting in random numbers. But what was, um, what was really interesting about it was they wanted me then to put the mask on and become Jason. And I was really torn about that. It's like, so am I becoming possessed with the spirit of Jason? Like, yeah, exactly. And I was like, I don't know if I want to do that. I, but that's what they went with. And then they said, by the way, your character tested well, did well. We want to bring him back for part six. And they sent me the script for part six. And I was like, gosh, I always said I'd never do these. And now I'm starring one. It was really fun. And it was super well received. And to go to the Fox Theater in Westwood with, you know, I went to UCLA. So my entire fraternity and a lot of guys from fraternity row and a lot of girls from sorority row. I mean, we packed that place and it was really fun to see. I had never been to an, a, a, such a participatory experience where people are yelling at the screen <laughs> and it's that is a very campy uh, uh, version of Friday the 13th. There's a lot of comedy. There's a lot yeah. of things. With big lamp laughs. There's, you know, Junior and his crazy mother. And But yeah. what worked for me oh, as an actor, sorry. It's Jason. Sorry. What it's for Jason. me as an actor, yeah, yeah. Jason haunts you. He calls on, on your cell phone. <laughs> um, what worked for me as an actor was to not get involved in all that uh, off-camera or on-camera shenanigans that making a Friday the 13th is, which is a lot of kids running around having a lot of fun all night long in the rain in a barn out in Camarillo or Calabasas or wherever we were. Um, I stayed totally separate. And so oh, wow. what I what it did for me was it was a lot of comedy and dance and music. And Danny Steinman was a very interesting director that brought all kinds of different sort of stylistic, you know, uh, he, I mean, I don't know if you've read his filmography, but he'd done like soft porn problem right. you know, prior to that. And so there was all this stuff that I just decided I'm the good guy. I'm separate from this. I'm out of this. I'm not a part of this. Just like Tommy was living in his own mind, his own world haunted by Jason. And it really worked for me. But when they gave me part six and said, okay, now you're ongoing in the franchise, I thought, okay, how does that work? And I started to read the first few pages. And first, I'd really gotten much more serious about my faith after Friday the 13th, part five, and was really struggling with, could I be a Christian in Hollywood and have no control over the kind of parts I was getting? So I'd actually decided, maybe I should get out of the business. Maybe I can't do what I love to do. Uh, I have to give it up. And when I got that script, the first few pages, there's a little girl praying. And I went, oh, there's a spiritual dimension to this. Maybe I can do this. And Jason's walking up behind her and she prays and then he he walks away. And I was like, oh, and the minute I kind of felt like, oh, I can do, I realized, I'm, who, who are you kidding? You're just rationalizing because you want to do another movie. And I, I knew in my gut, I'm not going to do this film. And I turned it down. I actually quit the business and I went away to seminary. And it's a long story about how I got back into the business, but it was a really defining um, moment for me because it is, you know, looking back now, it's 80s kitsch. I mean, people oh, love yeah. the Friday the 13th yeah. franchise. I had no idea what I was a part of at the time. To me, it was 
an acting exercise where I got paid very little money. I worked all night long in the, <laughs> in the rain. I trained like a banshee. Um, it was very grueling emotionally, uh, spiritually, mentally. Um, but it was really great, uh, obviously role for me and led to a lot of other good work. So it, it, you know, yeah, he was supposed to go on and actually, uh, I thought that they would come back to me and really beg me to do it because I was so good. <laughs> but no, they moved right on and just cast a different kid that kind of looked like nobody. Uh, Tom, uh, you, you guys would know part six. But anyway, um, long story short, that was my one brush with that franchise. But it has carried on all these years to where I go to conventions and people still yeah. come up. Yeah, long lines of people say, you're the one Tommy I haven't met or I don't have your autograph or I'd love to hear about your. It's really been an interesting um, and. Uh, privilege to be a part of this sort of uh but, but did you come to that because like i just watched a documentary on the film and they interviewed a lot of people and i was very surprised that you weren't part of the interview so did you choose not to do it or did they not ask you or did you did you come back to embracing this where maybe because i read some stuff that you know what you thought it was going to be what ended up wasn't quite the same um so so did something change or why weren't you a part of that I think it was for a DVD release is for what it was years, for. Yeah. For years after the film came out, I just decided I didn't want anything to do with it. You know, I, I, it's, um, I, I, I did a couple of things to promote Friday the 13th and met some of the fans. And I was a little concerned about the impact and influence, the amount of violence and graphic sexual, you know, um, promise on screen was having on young kids because the uh, not the adults but i mean kids would come to some of these things that are 10 11 yeah sure. my brother took me to see this at the drive-in i, I love your character it made me, it gave me sort of an added sense of responsibility about the work that i did and so for years i decided i'm just going to distance myself now that it's been 30 plus years I'm kind of like, you know, this wasn't really interesting. Perhaps yeah. I've been to, and I meet now the fans and they're middle-aged housewives and guys like myself that have kids are like, it was just a, I love horror, you know, it was kind of just good versus evil. And you'd yell at the screen and it, I love to be scared. And it was such just a fun time. Now I look at the kind of films coming out and I go, okay, that's evil. <laughs> well, that's what that. I was going to say. When you look at, well, you know, the thing that struck me about this film, yeah, there wasn't a ton of blood. And, and the, the way they cut it, the, even when he would stick the thing in somebody, it was so quick. It was like, you know, it was the violence, although there was a lot of it, it was pretty tame compared to what you see now. They cut where it's it. so graphic, you know, even well, the even, sex scene. It was less I mean, graphic than the very first one. The first yeah. one. Well, there was more deaths in this one, a lot more deaths right, in this one. Right, but the first one was much more graphic yeah. as far as the kills go. The sex in this one is probably in the, in the boobage and all that. There was a lot more of that. <laughs> And well, if that's, the director, what the producer, that's what Mancuso wanted. He wanted the, he said, well, he said what every eight, every eight minutes, I want to see either breasts a or a kill. Right. right. Yeah. So, but did you know the director had done soft core before you, before you signed up no. for this one? No, I, I mean, and, and not that, you know, look, I mean, Danny, it's not, yeah. I mean, Danny was a very, um, convincing, persuasive, and he was an actor's director. I mean, I really liked the way that he worked at the time with me. And basically I walked on the set and he said, you know, John, um, this is Tommy's movie. You don't have a lot of lines, but you play this right kid. This is your film. Mm. And when somebody empowers you, a director gives you that sort of like, wow, this is my movie. I, I really stepped up to that um, and felt that sort of responsibility. Um, I also kind of felt like, um, 
Danny, Danny and Frank were both, you know, concerned about body count and how do we up that thing and how do we get a, an x-ray? Yeah. He froze. I, you're, you're freezing a little bit, John. Folks coming in and kid out. coming out, just trying to get into all this. And so in that sense, uh, yeah, it was, it was a real challenge. It was a real great experience. It was also emotionally taxing because I, I tried to stay in character like a method actor would the entire time. Well, what did you, you know, I want to ask you, look, and, and you got to be careful what you're going to say, but you know, you did a lot of performing with your eyes, obviously, and your body, not dialogue. But when you look at some of the other cast with the way they were doing some of the dialogue, uh, it was very, uh, I mean, some of them were pretty stiff. Do you know what I mean? Do, do you look at it and go, yeah, I mean, some of them were okay compared to what you were doing. You know what I'm saying? I mean, do you, do you look back on it now when you were doing it then? Well, you said you separated yourself, so maybe you didn't even notice. But when you saw the film, did you see a difference? I mean, did, did no, it? No, I, I mean, it's, and that's what's kind of fun about it being an actor is I'm just about me. The whole movie is about So you're a complete me. narcissist. I get it. No, I'm not like an actor. <laughs> he said he's an actor. Exactly. No, Don't you know? Thing, can I say one Haven't thing? You? When I invited John on this uh, podcast, he said, hey, there's nothing more I lo- would like to do to talk about myself for an hour. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, you guys know yeah. the Screen Actors Guild theme song, right? All about me, life is all about me, <laughs> about me not about you. <laughs> me. Yeah, it goes on yeah. from there. Yeah. One of, one so, of the things that's... Oh, it's, that was good times being an yeah. actor. Uh, one of the things that's it's funny, uh, John, and, and thanks for joining, by the way. Uh, I actually saw this movie when I was much younger, when I was out in the videotape era, so probably later 80s. Uh, I had a, My brother was five years older than me, and he was more into these films than I was. But after watching the fifth one, I, it kind of came back to me that I had seen this movie. And, um, you know, I, what I really liked about this film, especially since after this one, um, apparently they're all on Amazon Prime right now. So I actually watched six and seven, um, which I had actually seen before, too. Um, this one is just it's, it's a very different vibe um, in the sense that it's more of almost like a almost Hitchcockian in the sense that. You know, wow. they, they put up, they put forth a lot. No, but seriously, they put forth a lot of red herrings. You know, you start with the, the EMT, which I actually thought they, they paused on for a little long. Yeah. And I was like, maybe he's the guy. Yeah. Um, but then they added like, you know, the, the crazy son from next door, yeah. uh, the drifter who's working for them. You know, they add all these different possibilities and they start getting clipped off. And like you mentioned, there's not a lot of gore. It's like, you know, somebody gets stabbed no. and they're dead right. partially because they don't want to give away who's done it all as opposed to this, and it had a nice air of mystery in the sense, as opposed to the other one, which was the other films, which were just like, Jason is out there. He's an unstoppable killer. And especially after number six, because when you talk about them taking a different turn, I mean, Jason gets reanimated by a bolt of lightning because a different Tommy decides it's time to dig him up and burn his body or something. It's really, even as a kid, I was like, that doesn't make a lot of sense. But um but I did like that this one took a real different turn and you didn't re- really only saw Jason in, uh, you know, in, in Tommy's hallucinations, which I thought was, uh, which was a nice change. And while there definitely is a camp element to the other actors, um, no, I really, like I said, I really kind of re enjoyed watching this one again, especially after I watched six and seven. And I was like, cause those two really kind of take it more into almost like a, 
a comic book element. You know, Jason is truly undead and unstoppable. And then in the seventh one, a girl with telekinesis shows up and they have kind of like a battle. Jason um, versus Carrie. Yeah, basically. Yeah. Well, doesn't so he fight uh, uh, Freddy too in one movie? Yeah. Yeah. Eventually. Eventually. eventually they and he went to hell. Then he goes to yes. hell. And New York. But let's talk <laughs> about Tommy. Yeah. I want to get back to Tommy. Sean, so Sean, I, Sean, you seem to have a, 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 a more like overall feeling about the film. Let me, let me give you my opinion of the series. The first, this is the kookiest of the horror franchises. This is really crazy stuff when you think about it. Because in the first film, it's the mother that's killing everyone. Right. And why is she killing them? Because the camp counselors let her son die. And then this boy appears at the end and drags the girl at the thing. The next film, Jason is alive. And he's angry that his mother was beheaded at the end of film one. So he's killing all these people. But mother was only killing people because Jason died. Now you're thinking, well, maybe he didn't die. Just maybe he was horribly disfigured. But in later films, they'll say in um, six, they say he had drowned. He was dead. We have to take him back to where he's originally buried. So, okay. So first film, Jason's really not in it. The second film, Jason is in it, but he's not wearing the trademark, which is the mask. The mask doesn't happen until three which was Jason 3D. And that, so the, the thing that he's most associated with in the series doesn't happen until the third film, which was in 3D. I had seen the first three. That's what I stopped after three. And then I saw the fourth one, which I thought was really good. I would probably at that time said four was the best of them up until the time four came that out. That was the final chapter? Yeah, the final chapter. <laughs> and five was the new beginning. That was... Okay, I got it. it. came to this one, which was the last one I saw in the theaters. And I wouldn't say I was a great fan of the series, but it's sort of like I went to the movies every, you know, every Friday and every Saturday. So if it was out, chances are, you know, I'm <laughs> going to go to the movies twice. If, the, you know, depending on what else opened, I was going to see it. And then you think about how weird this one is. In this one, Jason's not in it except as a hallucination, you know, and so – in these five films, you know, they all have an incredibly different take on it. And this is more like a mystery like the first one, too. So it is kind of a new beginning. Now, Six, um, I also watched um, Six as well. I watched a lot of these films. So I'd be bad talking about it because I wasn't wise. I didn't make notes. And after about well, after you watch four of them, it's always like, which girl got stabbed with the harpoon? What film was that? <laughs> you know, and, um, and six, I would say, and in a real sense, six is the first real classic Jason film because it's real, it's grim. This one also, as opposed to the other one, there was comedy in three, but this is one really leaned into the broad, you know, into the comedy and into the broad characters. And six is a, is a straight up horror one, very little. Very little humor, lots of kills, less nudity than this one. Yeah. But then I just, and, but then, you know, as weird as those first six films were and how they relate to each other, then it goes totally nuts. In seven, he's battling a woman with telekinesis. It's Carrie versus Jason. Then he goes to New York, but there, he's only there for like the last 10 minutes of the movie, quite a disappointment. 
And then he's in space. Oh, right. I forgot about that. Ten. Yeah, he, he ends up being 200 years in the future on a spaceship. All right. Was and there a t- then he goes to hell and he gets pulled out by um, Freddy. Freddy. Nightmare. And then they have Freddy versus Jason. And then they reboot. And I didn't see the reboot. But these are, when you look at how the characters and how the films are presented, they are really presented in a really odd way. In a sense, this film, Six, Reminds me of Halloween three, which didn't have Michael Myers in. It. Oh, with the masks. Yeah, yeah the yeah. season of the witch. You mean yeah. the fifth? The fifth with the one we're talking about. Yeah, the yeah. fifth one. Yeah, this which yes, this one stands out from all of them because of, like you said, no. Real and it did real well. well. Yeah, right? I it, think did it did really did well. well. Box office did well, but critically, um, a lot of hardcore fans of the franchise did not like five because Jason was an imposter and they felt cheated. Um, it wasn't a supernatural Jason. It was a guy pretending to be. So, um, I, of course, I didn't know or realize any of this because, like I said, I'd never seen any before. And afterwards, I didn't see any. I just did mine. But after going to some conventions and being on some talk, some panels with different people, you realize people know the lore. They know the mythology, you know the characters. They know everyone with who was killed by a harpoon. And this was inconsistent. And this guy did a great job. <laughs> So I, uh, part five is a unique one and some people really liked it. I, uh, of course, I, I think it's, it's a cut above. Um, <laughs> I, uh, I get it. A cut above. Uh, but like the, um, but there are a number of people that are like, Oh no, it was terrible because it was an imposter and it was a total bait and switch. So it's interesting to hear people are passionate about their Friday the 13th. So that was, it's always kind of fun when you meet people that know way more about the script and the series and the, the movie you were in than you do. Yeah. Debbie, Debbie, I I haven't heard anything from Debbie yet. Well, I don't use this is not the typical film that I I've ever, you know, would go to. So I'm really not um, that, you know, it's a slasher film. And um, but I'm interested about the Hitchcockian reference. And that is with the mom. Is that where that comes in? Well, the mom was in. Two, one, two, and I think it's just all the twists. Yeah. There's a bunch of uh, well, the yeah. red herrings they throw at red herrings kind of lead you to believe that Tommy it's was the killer, mom. right? And then there's, I mean, the idea is that there's a possibility of killers, and right. then there's the central concept of is Tommy, is he or isn't he the killer? I mean, they set right. that up pretty early on. All the masks, maybe he's gone yeah, crazy. Right. He's got all those masks he makes exactly. So no, that's kind of what I liked that. You know, it throws out a bunch of possibilities, but at the same time, there's this central uh, question. And and almost it's funny, too, because uh, as far as screen time is concerned, you're not on the screen. But like when they're when they're when they're getting chased by Jason, when the, when the young guy and the, and the woman are getting chased at the very end and they're seeing all, and then Tommy shows up in the barn door. You're almost like, oh, my God, that's right. It's not him. You know, you kind of it's like a nice little because you're kind of into that chase sequence. It's yeah, but, th- but then I thought he was going to do some kind of karate move on him, and instead he just gets sliced right across the chest. I said, what the hell was that? Where were well, all the moves you were doing thing. earlier? Well, he thought it made sense, though. They set that up because he sees him like three times, and he oh. has to close his eyes to make him go away. I thought he was going to kick his ass. He probably thought, hey, this is just a hallucination. I'm not crazy. And then, you know, he gets macheted. You know? <laughs> now, I want to say what's behind Ralph. You're seeing the scene with the mother and son. On the TV. Oh, yeah. That is the scene that ruined the movie for Debbie. And I'll tell you why. In the close, you know, they're very dirty, the mother and son. Yeah. 
But in the close-up, when she's talking to him, her face is really clean. And every time they would go to the wide shot, it was really dirty. Yeah, yeah. Like, that, that's that's yeah. the scene that that's the scene that's, that put her over the. I mean, the continuity okay. really messed not up the, for me not the not the chocolate on the kids' mind. and that now I just the kid was the whole reason for the killings, right? That was that kid yeah. was the EMT's yeah. son, right? Right. Yes. Okay. Right. Well, yeah. they kind of gave it away when he looked at the body and they well, held it on him. Well, he stared and at him for faded. a while. Faded. Yeah, he had a crazed look on his face. Right. So he kind of knew he was going to be the guy. But, but now, but when John, they had we, the bald head, I didn't understand that. And then you see the mask peeled open at the end. I was like, oh, he wore a mask uh, behind the mask. Yeah. So I thought that was wow. That's but John, you were saying they had they they didn't have an ending at that point. You wrote the ending of you in the hospital or that scene. Right. We Do you uh, know how would how was it originally going to end just with that yeah. guy dying and that was it. And then you came up with the idea to have Tommy perhaps be. I do not remember how the original or if there was an ending. Um I just remember they were trying to figure out how do we create a cliffhanger yeah. so that you're for the sequel. Yeah. For a sequel. Yeah. And Mike Hitchcock and I kind of, cause we were in that um, hospital corridor figured out, Oh, we could, you could hear a crash like the glass broke and they rush in and then the door slowly swings shut and he's behind it. Um, but like I said, I'd, I'd written this whole monologue about don't come in here. Please don't come in here and say to Pamela's saying, Tommy, are you okay? Are you okay? Don't come here. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not okay. <laughs> Too much. Danny Steinman's less is more, less is more. So um, I don't agree but, with him. I think you were, I think your instincts were right on that one. It uh, would have been good to have him break out because yeah. it was a little ambiguous. Does he become, you know, and, and yeah. as we know, you didn't go on to it. What's that? You have to watch six. Well, I didn't. Which one is no, Paul? Does Paul Rudd play Tommy in one of these two? Is there other no, bunch you know of who's in six with Tommy Horshack, Ron Paul? Yes. Is that with Crispin Glover or is that the is that four? Crispin Glover's in four. Four. Okay. Okay. Four. This. Right. That's uh, that's right. Horshack digs up the thing at the beginning. Right. That's. Right. I haven't seen it, but I remember. I don't think he too. wants to be known as Horshack. Okay. Now, so <laughs> okay. can we I please? I don't remember. Jesus. <laughs> Question for John Shepard. Go ahead. You got so the floor. You, did you say that uh, this friend of yours, uh, Mr. Hitchcock, is he related to Alfred Hitchcock in any way, shape, or form? That was writing the screenplay. No, situation? but that's a it's a great observation. No, he has no relation. But in that sense, the film truly was Hitchcockian. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. That would be the only. I think that would be the only. My, Listen, my I do not want to undermine this movie in any way, but the connection to Hitchcock is just driving <laughs> me a little crazy here. Okay, a little, uh, we we can't. Let's just clarify. Yeah, watch that scene. It's not to Alfred Hitchcock. It's to <laughs> that's right. Okay, hey, fair enough. And that's um, funny. Yeah, no, uh, Michael. Michael's the other guy that when I got the role, I, I kind of felt conflicted. Can I do this? I. I mean, here I am studying at Strasbourg and doing Shakespeare and classically trained at Northwestern and Second City. And he was like, John, this is a great opportunity. But if you're going to do it, you got to take it seriously. You got to go volunteer at a, a mental health clinic and understand what it is to get, be a, in a mind of a kid like that. You've got to get dirt underneath your fingernails. You want to be take it seriously. Do the best job. If you're going to do Tommy, be the best Tommy you can be, uh, it, you know, coming from a guy who was just slightly older than me, but he was a director. He was a writer. 
it really kind of, again, said, don't think of this as a Friday the 13th. Think of this as To Kill a Mockingbird, You're Robert Duvall, Boo Radley. Take it seriously. And, you know, dang, and when I watch the movie, I enjoy it because I kind of go, yeah, I, I, you know, I'm proud of the work that I did. And now, so they uh, made it sound like they made it sound like you didn't know you were doing a Friday the 13th and you went to the mental institution and study. Then you found out it was Friday the 13th and you felt like, oh, why did I do this studying? But you knew, <laughs> you knew what you were going to be playing. Yeah, when you did the I, research. I don't remember. It's been a while now. I don't remember the order of when I exactly found out. But the minute that I got those sides where I knew it was a kid coming out of the. Okay. Uh, I started preparing because that's what we did at Strasburg. We'd write yeah. character histories and, you know, we would definitely. Um, that's Jason's mother. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. I should turn this off. You keep no, in touch right. with any no, of the cast? Do you have any? Do you I keep have, in touch you with? Know, I, I reunited with a couple of them, uh, Miguel Nunez, um, for sure, and the kid who played Reggie. Um, we corresponded several times. Um, I went to a couple of the years later, not immediately after the movie, but, you know, 20 years later, I did a couple of conventions and saw Corey at one of them. So, yeah, I have stayed in touch, but um, mainly when they did a Friday the 13th reunion, I thought, well, that'd be fun to go to and see everybody again and um, saw Tiffany and a few of the others. And it was really fun to sort of get on the other side of, because like I said, during the, the movie, I didn't talk to any of them. Yeah. I was just going to ask, Yeah, I mean, you're, 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 you're doing method for the film. You're being very serious. How did and the they other obviously actors, weren't. Yeah. How did the other actors treat you? I mean, other than the fact that you were trying to separate yourself, but were they saying, why is this guy taking this? So did you get any sense that they're looking at you as like, what the hell is he doing? This is, you know, I, uh, how did that go? Was it, uh, did it, did it help? I mean, did it keep you enough distance so that you could get into that role of just kind of looking at what's going on? And Oh yeah. No, I, I mean, I literally guys would, um, be off to myself, the makeup people, hair. I wouldn't, I one or two word answers at most, never look at anybody. And then, you know, we'd be done at two o'clock in the morning or five o'clock in the morning. And I would then drive home. And of course, you'd been drinking coffee all night. So then I'd go sit on the beach in Malibu and try and get tired. Um, or I'd go, I, one time I showed up, I was dating a girl at UCLA and I showed up outside her sorority. It was like seven 30 in the morning. And it was a Saturday morning. They were all sound asleep, but she happened to come out and look out her balcony. And I was standing on the street in a trench coat with black under my eyes. Oh, and Lord. she was like, what's wrong with this? Still in character. <laughs> He's, <laughs> He's stalking me. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> it was fun to do that role because it was so different from who I am. And I really did get into it. Um, but I was ready to put Tommy to bed after after the one, after part five. So your life would have been considerably different if you had done the second one because then you'd be part two of the three trilogy you know of time oh, it, yeah my life yeah i could have made i think a career out of i could have gone and pitched let me write the next one we wrote the ending to this one let me come let me come up with let me and hitchcock come up with a pitch um but you know it was interesting that you asked that sean because my life did change because i turned down part six i was living in malibu I ran out of money. I moved to North Hollywood, which if you live in California, you know the difference between Malibu and North Hollywood. <laughs> it was significant. I um, I got a job at the LA Times rolling um, advertisements in the paper on Sundays. I got paid per paper, not by the hour. So I made like 
a dollar ninety five an hour because I was so slow. I went to seminary and decided I'm going into ministry. I'm getting out of acting because I don't think I can be in this business. And it was during that first quarter of seminary that I was at church and a guy came up to me and he said, you're an actor, right? And I said, no, I used to be not anymore. By the way, when you went to the seminary, you had to sign a piece of paper that said you wouldn't go to R-rated films. (laughs) Friday the 13th was playing in the drive-in across the street from the seminary. And I said, well, it doesn't say anything about being in R-rated films, just says I can't go. To <laughs> but it was the weirdest time of my life where I gave it all up. And then an actor came up to me at church and said, I just read for a movie. I bet you'd be perfect. I bet you get it. I bet you get it. And sure enough, I did. I went to Amsterdam that damn that, that summer and did the second kind of film I swore I'd never do, which is I got cast in a Christian film for the Reverend Billy Graham. So I went from Friday the 13th, I'll never do a slasher picture, to, oh, now I'm going to do a lame, cheesy Christian film. <laughs> but it was both of them turned out to be much better experiences than I could have possibly imagined. And how my life would have been different if I'd taken part six, I'd have still been in Malibu. I'd never gone to Amsterdam. I wouldn't have traveled the world with that film. They flew my girlfriend over. We got engaged. We've been married now forever. So it's just really interesting how things work out. And you think, um, Oh, I, my gifts. I can't use my gifts to do what I want to do because somehow it's unholy. It's not sacred. It's dishonoring to God. And, you know, I'm going to give it up. And then God turns around and says, okay, now I can use you in the entertainment industry. And now yeah. I'm producing. It's this yeah. was a hard journey. I thought I was, you know, going to be proud, um, proud list of films. Yes. You know, uh, before you called me, he called me about a project. Mm-hmm. Before he called me, I knew who you were, you know, because it's. Very small circle, and um, I know I tried to pitch you with a project, you know, years ago, but I didn't have your I didn't have your email. So <laughs> at that time, I was using Hollywood Creative Directory ah. my people's email. I didn't have IMDb Pro, and you might not have been in it at that time. But um, <laughs> so when you called me, and I could I didn't I was at a, at a concert with my wife, and I'm like, oh, there's a person I. I Got the headphones on. Listen, John Shepard. Oh, I know who he is. And then I had to call you back immediately because I knew who you were and that you were Tommy. And you just <laughs> calling me back so quickly. I go, how could I not turn back, call that's back a, Tommy? For that's right. Yeah, you never know. He might show up at your house with a machete. Or, you know. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, when you when you threw that kid on the on the um, table there in that movie, in that movie, I'm like, I turned to Debbie and said, I can never cross him. <laughs> no, the physicality was obvious. It was yeah. obvious in that. Yeah, that um, it, I, I'm just trying to, how much time was, how much time was in between uh, the movie, the seminary, and then getting back into films? How much time did you actually take to just kind of? Gosh, you know, it wasn't that long. I would say about six months. Um, you know, I, I didn't do part six. I ran out of money and moved to North Hollywood. I enrolled in seminary. I was in my first quarter of seminary when I was uh, going to this church. And then this, I'd say it was only about six months. And uh, it was funny because when I went in for the audition for that, I thought, well, I'm never going to get this because they're going to see I did a Friday the 13th with all that right. graphic nudity and violence, and they're not going to like that. Instead, the director was like, this is fantastic that you came from there, and now you're going to do this, and you're a real actor and not, you know, a lot of times in religious entertainment, um, 
you get people that the quality is not up to snuff or just because they're doing it because they feel like, well, it doesn't have to be that good. It's, it's for God. It's like, actually, it's got to be better. And one of the things I appreciate about Sean is I had read one of his scripts and, and um, wanted to get this thing going and revived. And I feel like there are people that are people of faith that have strong moral and ethical and spiritual compass compasses, but they also are really great at what they do. And I think that's where I love. I want to be in that circle of, I want to do stuff that's artistically excellent. I want to do stuff that's commercially responsible. And I also want to do stuff that's on mission. And when those three circles intersect, and that's where kind of I think Sean Paul Murphy plays too, is that's the sweet spot is to do great entertainment, artistically excellent on mission, but that also makes money. That's a win, win, win. So uh, I, that's why, I, you know, Friday the 13th filled out a couple of those, but not all three for me. So I will versus- say, he does right. not pick cheesy crap. John has made some really. <laughs> oh, thank crap. you. Well, I've made some cheesy stuff too. <laughs> <laughs> John, Peacock, yeah, I, yeah. You are so kind. But yeah, thank you very much for that, yes, by the very way. Very nice. But John yeah. Shepard, I got one other question for you. Do you think that in when you were in that uh, mental hospital doing your research on your role, that that had something to do with you getting called to be going to the mission or not the missionary, the um, seminary? Seminary. Thank you, John. You know, You're welcome. That's a great. No one's ever asked me that question. And I, um, it's interesting that you say that because I remember when I quit, because I'd been volunteering there for about a month. And you would go and spend a lot of time with these kids and really get to know them. And they became, they became your friends. They liked you and you. They, in some cases, I was like a big brother that they never had. And then I felt a little guilt and conviction when movie and I'm leaving and they didn't know that they thought I was helping and I did genuinely care and I generally get involved. And I did feel legitimately convicted that I was going to leave these kids here that had no family that had been suffered all kinds of abuse. And I would say, um, great question. I, I've never thought about that. But yeah, I think in many ways, I felt again, a responsibility that art matters, and that what we do impacts people on a deep level. And, you know, we have a certain responsibility as artists. And sometimes you make something that's just a popcorn, it's just for entertainment. But sometimes it can have very positive or very negative long-term impact on people. And so that's why I think also, Ralph, to answer your question, uh, I I disappeared from the circuit for a while. But now I feel coming back gives me an opportunity to sort of redeem a little bit my time I invested in this franchise to say, you know, it was a great journey. I wouldn't have traded it for anything. Here's what I learned. And I've met lots of people of faith that go to horror films and some of them whose dad was a pastor or their pastors, but they just loved it. It was fun. It was eighties kitsch. Um, There are other people that it really impacted in a negative way. (laughs) I have to say, I'm sorry. It was just a movie, but I recognize not only not everybody sees this as just a movie. It does sometimes have long-term lasting influence. Well, you're part, you're part of one of, I mean, look at there's, there's a, a bunch of iconic franchises in Hollywood history. Friday the 13th is one of them. I I mean, whatever you think about the movies in general, they're iconic and that's always going to be there for the rest of your life. You're part of that. That's pretty, that's a pretty amazing thing. I mean, I I do think that's pretty cool. Well, here's the thing. If you look at like, um, my wife, oddly enough, well, I'm not going to say the name. (laughs) Take my wife, please. If you look at my wife with, um, Gunnar Hansen from, um, 
Texas Chainsaw Massacre. And, you know, in the horror world, it's like a, um, it's, it's, yeah, and she was also with the King of Gore. Who was that guy? Gordon you, Lewis. You know, yeah, you know, G, you know, Gordon Lewis was his name. The Godfather, um, Herschel Gordon. Godfather Lewis. of Gore. Herschel Gordon Lewis. And De- Debbie guy, dated him? What are you saying? What are you saying? What? Debbie dated that guy? <laughs> oh, no, she was. Oh, a, oh. <laughs> oh. I got confused. Sorry. A friend of ours needed a, a per, he needed somebody and I was working at um, Union Memorial. Hospital. Yeah. And she wanted to and, be an actress. And then she saw the final movie. I didn't want to be an actress. I, I just was going to have some fun. But. That's why you were in Death of Poe and Creepy Canada to as well. To help out. To help out. Okay. They needed somebody. But stupid. one thing Gunnar anyway. Hansen said, he didn't say this to me, he said it to the director. It's like, you know, um, he goes, you know, I may not like be an Oscar winning actor, but when I tell people what movie I was in, they all know it. Yeah. You know? If you say you're in Friday the 13th, people yeah. are wondering, yeah, the 13th. Which one? Yeah. <laughs> you know, exactly. but they will know when you say Friday the 13th, they will know. Well, <laughs> I'm impressed. I'm impressed by <clears throat> not being seduced by what it means to be in a film and the fact that you could have gone on and done anything you wanted to do probably, but your, your strength was in your faith. And, you know, it's pretty amazing to walk away from something like that and, and, and go do what you did. And then it's also amazing to come back and still do that, tap into what you what you love, which is getting in front of people and, and acting, but use it, you know, the way you want to use it, which is, which is pretty good. It's a pretty, it's a great story. Now, do you go to these, all these conventions that they have for all these horror conventions that you go and sign stuff or you don't get involved with that? I, I never did it until the last couple of years where it's been a privilege again to go. And a lot of them are 80s type conventions, yeah. so yeah. not just horror. So you'll be there with Judge Reinhold sure. from Fast Times at Ridgemont High. <laughs> or you'll be there sitting next to, you know, other celebrities from movies like uh, Hellraiser and yeah, it's yeah, and yeah, yeah. you know it's been fascinating to meet some of the icons of um, the world, and especially those '80s movies, which we grew up, you know, um, loving those films from the '80s, and all the John Hughes stuff, and to see some of the actors um, and, and to, to actually have been a part of that. I mean, even Corey Feldman. I mean, he's kind of a legendary, like him or not. I mean, he's he's been a part of the fabric yeah. of Hollywood, and it's yeah. great to, to sort of be a part of that in some small way um, and have had my, you know, 15 minutes of fame doing this, but um, it's also really cool because now I, as an actor, you know, you're always asking permission to do your job. Please hire me. Please let me be in your movie, Mr. Mm-hmm. Producer. So I can say the word somebody else wrote, but what's really been cool for me is to be able to transition from just being a prop in somebody else's movie as an actor to actually being able to now cultivate talent, have scripts written, produce, and have the ability to give permission to people to do their jobs. Um, it's really much more creatively satisfying, um, although it's a lot harder than being an actor. Uh, uh, acting was the easiest, most fun I've ever had. And to pretend to be somebody else is just such a, a and to get paid for it. I mean, I would have paid to do what I was doing. It was just amazing. But it's been a fun journey. And it's also been, as you said, uh, you know, Johnny Ralph, a great way to tell my story and encourage and inspire others because now you've got this next generation of kids that are able to make Friday the 13th on their iPhone and they're doing it 
at a higher production level for less yeah. money. That's for sure. great, better special effects. It's phenomenal. And they're also, the yeah, I hate, I hate those kids, by the way. No offense. But those, <laughs> those little guys are doing all kinds of stuff. Well, the one thing they're missing that, um, Sean offers is you, you still, it comes down to story. You've got to be able right. to tell the story. If it ain't on the page, it ain't on the stage. That's and true. so the writing is the one thing this next generation is missing. They can shoot, they can edit, they can direct, they can do visual effects, they can put it all on their iPhone, but it still comes down to at the end of the day, who wrote the script? Well, Sean Paul Murphy wrote this script. Oh, wow. Thank or you. I wrote it myself. Uh, yeah, you did. <laughs> <laughs> so um, it's all still about how do you tell a good story? Right. Yeah. John, let me ask you a question because you, you seem to have uh, some high praise for your director. But from what I understand, and correct me if I'm wrong, this was his last film that he directed. Why do you think he never directed anything else after this? Why didn't the Friday the 13th franchise, if it did so well, why didn't they let him direct more of these? Do you know? I do not know. I can only speak from my experience with that um, machine, uh, which, you know, look, I was getting paid scale to play Tommy for eight weeks in a barn. And when I uh, was offered part six, my agent just to test the water said, yeah, he'll do it. But, you know, he wants double scale this time. And there, there is no loyalty. There is no love lost. If somebody asks for anything beyond the minimum, they were like, oh, it's done. Moving on. We'll replace him. And I'm sure with Danny... You know, the thing about these, it's a volume game. This franchise, it didn't matter about continuity. It didn't matter that one director did a great job. It really was, they make, they get made for this amount of money. They make this amount of money. And then we move on. And if somebody wants to keep doing it with them, great. But if they don't want to play ball, we don't need them. The franchise is bigger than any of you actors or you directors. I'm not quite sure why Danny, maybe, you know, working with me drove him to the point of, I never want to work again. I don't know. I can't stand those method actors. I can't stand well, maybe them. It was such an honor that he just felt anything to do as a. <laughs> how can, it was how like can Citizen you top that Kane. Bar? He peed. Yeah, the bar's too high. Set the bar too high. Since you brought up Hitchcock, I'll bring up Orson Welles. What the hell? <laughs> John, I have a question. Because I know this is this is was you know in Paramount slate. This wasn't The Godfather. You know what I mean, right? So, and your awareness. I know you're an actor. How involved was the studio? I mean, were they like giving notes? Were they looking at the dailies and making comments, or was it just Mancuso? Um, I do not know the behind the scenes of that, but my experience was that because. We were um, a low budget, trying to be under the radar, non-union production. Paramount couldn't put their name on it. It was like a negative pickup where we're off making this for repetition at Frank Mancuso's company. And then we turn it into the studio. So I don't think that they were very involved. However, when it came to body count, when yeah. it came Yeah, on the documentary I, I saw... The documentary I saw, they said, uh, the director said they, they wanted a body count. To make sure that yeah. it wasn't too far over. The- I think Danny did want to push the envelope. I think they did have to dial some things back. Uh, that's where I think they got involved in post-production and in the editing, but not, nothing on the set or, or anything. It was, in fact, I can give you an example. One day I showed up on the set and it was freezing cold and I noticed my um, co-star um, had a brand new, like, full-length park on. I was like, where did where'd she get that? And it's like, Oh, the producers gave it to her. It's like, well, I, I want, I'm freezing. <laughs> I couldn't, A, I was in character. I wasn't going to ask, but B, everything was, um, I did notice Mancuso had like a new Ferrari. 
I want it. And I just went, wow, okay, now I understand how this works. <laughs> oh, man. So, anyway, that's uh, my friend of ours, a, a former podcast guest, used to do some work for Mancuso and his company. And one thing she said about him was that his people were very loyal to him. He still has the same people when she was working with him around him that were around him from 12, from 12, 14 years earlier on the uh, Friday the 13th picture. So he must be doing something right if he's holding on to, um, holding on to the same people and all. Sure. Sure. Well, keep it in the family. Don't want anybody talking. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. And this did well. He made, uh, made good money. Uh, yeah, you know the reviews well, weren't great, but everybody still no, showed it didn't up. To have, see yeah, it. critic, critics I mean, didn't like it. Really Crit- like it. Some people really like it. Yeah, so they, I read one critic, and I think he was right. He said, "This is who was ranking all the films." Said this is the most divisive of the Friday the Thirteenth films because people really like it or they don't like it. Yeah. One thing that is universally true, and I'm not just saying this because you're here, John. People liked you. Yeah, you know what I mean. You get high marks for the film, even from people that didn't like the concept of the movie, that are like disappointed that Jason wasn't in it. Yeah. Thank you. Well, it was, like I said, it was a, it was a great honor and I'm proud of the work. Well, listen, you get to come on this show, so it must be good, huh? What? Things must have been good. Oh my goodness. I don't want you to take this the wrong way, but I think you've peaked. <laughs> I, don't, yeah, I don't know no. how much further you can go from here. Actually. I guess you guys probably won't want to do another podcast like Danny Steinman after this one. You're probably done as well, right? Is this I don't know. We'll have to see. We'll have to see how this goes. I think, yeah, yeah I, I think we've plateaued. This we is gotta, our citizen see, can, uh, John. <laughs> we we, we got to see how the weekend box office goes with this one. So, we got to see how many subscriptions we get and likes and how many people smash. I mean, literally smash the like button. There you yeah. go. And so not pitiful. only this. John Shepard. It's no, it's no wonder to me why your name is John Shepard. <laughs> that is interesting. You know? Well, like a good shepherd, it's probably time to get the flock out of here. There you go. <laughs> I did tell you it was an hour. John, we appreciate John, every thank second you so you much. With us. This was yeah, great. Thanks really really much appreciate for coming it. On. And I appreciate that you came on. It's a holiday weekend. Yeah, yeah. yeah. it's a tough week, yeah. but I hope you and your family have a great Thanksgiving. You said I owed you big time, and so there was no getting out of this. <laughs> oh, you gave him enough publicity tonight, John. Don't worry, you paid him back. Yeah, right? he's uh, yeah. he's smiling yeah, from ear to ear. Yeah, thank you for the kind words, John. Yeah. Right, we're even. I right, will say right. one thing: John and I really did bond over our um, many conversations. We I did. think we spent many hours on the phone. We felt like we made a horror film together. So there you go. <laughs> you know, thank you, all these uh, thank you. podcasts that. Sometimes turn into a therapy session. Yes, definitely. John was my therapist. <laughs> and he did the impossible too. He got a deal together. That would have that probably never happened without him. Wow. You know, so he is he is a great producer. You know, he's done some really great work. And um, I'm happy to have done something with him. A peacemaker. A truly great peacemaker. Yes. There you go. Well, good job. Happy Thanksgiving, everybody. Thank you. Thanks to you. Thanks for joining us. Appreciate it. Bye-bye.